Yo, what's up? It's Kev with Atmosphere FC, episode 14 with my good friend Ryan Dunn, who is a true defender, someone who saw the game in front of him, who's nails, someone that's a wall, someone that likes to do the dirty work. The perfect gentleman on the field, but the perfect gentleman off the field. I have this perfect gentleman list, Justin Luthi, Connor Fitzpatrick, Johnny Bunko, Ryan Dunn. Those are the four guys that are stand up, that I know they'll give me their shirts off their backs, you know, if I ever needed it. So welcome, my brother. Good to see you. It's good to be here. That's good company to keep. And I will say, you know, not sees the game in front of them. Defender. There's not a lot of technical ability, not a lot of goal scoring ability in there. So that's that's what you're getting with me today. Or someone that likes that gets high off doing the dirty work like that, you know, that's we're going to win every 50 50 tackle that's going to be consistent in the air. And it's like a, like a nuisance and a menace in the back. Like I don't want to play against a center back or a defender like you. Cause you're going to just pick at me all fucking game long. You know, that's, that's the kind of player that I feel like and kind of gets overlooked. Like, you know, the modern defender as like, you know, spraying the ball or like, you know, being able to be good with his feet, but like, no, I want it for me. I want a defender to just come and just set the tone, you know, and I, you're that guy, bro. You enjoy doing that. I do. I'm a, I'm a pain in the ass. I'm a nuisance. Like that is, that is what, I, that is what I'm on the field for. Like, I know there's guys that have, that have their jobs in the field. My job is to defend, to be a pain in the ass, to tackle, to win balls in the air. Like that was, that is my, that is my job in the, in the soccer world. For those who are listening, me and you met at Boston College. We played at Boston College three years together. The experience we had was, one, amazing. For me, I feel like it was amazing for you, but also very different how we got there, how we were able to, you know, find find each other's roles and stuff like that. So I kind of just want to just get to know you a little bit, talk about your journey, and we'll get to the Boston College stuff. Grew up in New Hampshire. I think New England is a soccer powerhouse when it comes to like recruiting, when it comes to talent, when it comes to like, you know, college soccer, I feel like if you're not going to play at a powerhouse, at least for me, who, you know, I grew up in the West Coast, my, my idea of college soccer was like, I'm going to go to UCLA, Santa Barbara. I never thought about going to New England and there's so many schools out there. So I feel like coming from New England and playing soccer there, you have an advantage of being recruited, you know, and at least having college soccer on your radar as a player right away. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's, like you said, there's so many schools and it's in such a like consolidated geographic area too. So that was like huge for me growing up was you you could have a game in two States away, but it's a, you know, an hour drive or two hour drive. Like I actually think like new England, if you think about what's great about like the UK and England is like geographically, things aren't that far. You can get around and, you know, a game an hour away, two hour drive away is very manageable. And there's tons of teams, tons of players in a very small area, which made it, you know, New England's made up of six States. Like there's kind of a community within like the new England soccer world growing up where if there was a good player in your age, that was from Maine or from Massachusetts or Connecticut or wherever you knew them, like you had played against them. And there was sort of this like, little you know rivalry within new england as, as you're growing up and then once you get to the college level and you're starting to you know play in high school and get recruited and things like that there's again there's so many you know schools and and the, the programs within new england have even been built up you know you've got bc just within boston bc bu harvard like there's some great schools right there you look at uconn is like always yeah. a powerhouse like providence has won like has won the big east you look at uvm and unh that are in like the america east like there UNH is a top 10 program every year now it's crazy and so there's like 
within just the New England area, there's these major sort of powerhouse college soccer programs. Level of play is, in my opinion, the best. Like East Coast soccer, ACC soccer, most more specifically, is the top of the top, the EPL of college soccer in my And it's consistent. The last few years, all the teams that have won the national, the NCAA tournament have been from North Carolina or from the ACC. Just ask you, how'd you get into soccer, bro? Like, I think it's so important to like, just like to understand on like why people choose this sport as an American player. Yeah. I mean, if I think about just from like a young age, I was the oldest of, of three brothers. So I was kind of the first one, like, and you know, my parents both played sports growing up, but weren't like they, they never played in college or anything like that. And I think I was somebody who every sport was like of interest to me. I, you know, I'm in the backyard playing baseball with my dad, my dad, you know, putting a soccer ball at my feet, shooting basketball, like in the, in the front yard. And, you know, soccer was just one of those things where it was like, as the seasons went, I, you know, I would change sports with the seasons. So like growing up, yeah. I, I wasn't somebody who was like soccer, soccer, soccer all the time. It was like, when it was soccer season, I loved soccer. And then when it was basketball season, I loved basketball. And then when it was, you know, track or baseball or snowboarding or whatever, like I was just always sports crazy. And like, it was, that was just part of it. And I think as I got a little bit older, it became clear, like soccer was definitely my best sport or my sport that I kind of was, you know, getting coached that would say, Oh, he's, he can play. Like we should put him in this team or, yeah. Hey, he's pretty good. Like let's get him playing an age up. And so like, it, I think it became something that I had always loved to do, but also matched with like, okay, I got some abilities here. And like, I, I kind of wanted to just like keep getting better and keep, keep growing into it that way too. But like picking up the game. Yeah. I don't know. It was like, you know, we had our town soccer four or five years old, <laughs> And I'm going out there. I still got my little like trading cards from, from those days. And that, that was it. And I, you know, I kind of loved it. And I just was like sports crazy. And so it wasn't even necessarily soccer crazy, but it was like, I, I love playing sports. I love the team sports yeah. and whatever season it was, was like what I was getting into. That's one dope thing about the American lifestyle. Even though soccer is pay to play, like you can play multiple sports throughout the year. So for someone who's athletic like you, who, you know, played basketball, played baseball, did track like that's that keeps that builds an athlete. If you look at what's going on these days with how many players are going on to Europe, the great young talent we have on the national team, we can find these you know, players like you, these raw athletes and polish them up to be soccer players. We just don't have a system that is looking for it. You know, we kind of just want it done already. And then like, at least the MLS clubs want it by the time they're like 16, 15, they want the, the, the final product or like the final potential, you know, instead of like going to or setting up places to or rec centers or rec leagues where, a player like yourself, who's like, you know, from New Hampshire, who there's like the only team that's around there is the Revs, you know, can have, you know, can spark up the dream. Like, hey, like I can be on the national team. Hey, like it's, I guess like soccer doesn't have that prestige, you know, to just as baseball or or basketball do. Um, but there's so much talent, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So much talent that, you know, it's untapped everywhere and i think the systems are changing in america we're making progress and i think about it like i've i'm 31 now and i've been in the game for 25 years let's say and i remember like being like 10 and thinking like wow like i can play in the world cup like i the mls is going to be a big league like like the epl 
And fast forward 25 years later, I think that time is now. Like, you know, like what, what I wanted, what I thought the U.S. soccer was in 2000, I think it's happening now where I feel like as soccer culture, we th we're thinking we're 25 years ahead when we're actually like getting started. Like, I feel like now soccer is finally a serious thing. We have so much pressure on the national team to win when it's like, yo, we just got here. You know, yeah. this is our golden era of talent. But as far as like, we haven't proven much. No, I don't know. If, I don't know how you feel about this from you growing up. And it's crazy how much it's improved now. When I was 10, 12, 14 years old, like you couldn't even watch soccer on TV. Like maybe no. every once in a while you could get a, a Revs MLS game or like a big U.S. national qualifier or something you'd watch on TV. But I like coming into college, I had never I didn't have an EPL team. I didn't have a team that I really like followed. I, I was like a you know a soccer player, but was not like a fan of soccer. So even now, go like go going through high school, college, I, it was not even on my radar of like oh I can play, I can play in the MLS or I could play yeah. in, in the U.S. national team because I never saw it. It was never something that I even like thought of. Like you know the dream of pro soccer player was there, but it, like you didn't see it on a day to day basis. Whereas now, like you can turn on your TV any Saturday in the U.S. Yeah. and watch a million games all day, which is like amazing for me, I think is interesting how much more it's like readily available, just like soccer culture and soccer yeah. content and being able to watch games like and follow these top players and watch them like that would have benefited me so much as a 14, 15 year old of being able to watch a, an MLS game and a US national team game to be able to see like, oh, this is what the top guys do. Like yeah. th that that would have made a big, I think a big difference for me in my my development we only had access to the epl la liga that's why I'm, we're barca fans that's why we're arsenal fans obviously me and you love the sport of soccer but we're interested in american soccer and the culture of american soccer and like the demand is there like me and you see the demand like you know we've lived in this world like right? we see the passion for it so i guess it's frustrating and it sucks that it's not meshing all together as far as like you know the the fans are one page or like there's too many like politics on the national team. I don't say I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean, this like in a positive. I can't wait to just make it click so we can have the same traditions as the English Premier League, as La Liga, you know, as these big national teams, you know, like that prestige of soccer is coming back to what you were saying about MLS being on TV and all these games being on TV. And it's just like there's money in American soccer, you know, Jamie Vardy buying the Rochester Rhino. There's a lot of mm -hmm. people investing into American soccer because it's coming 10 to 15 years, bro. America is going to be not just, I'm not saying the MLS is going to be like a powerhouse league, but America is going to be a hub for talent and our national team is going to be a powerhouse. And, you know, those who understand like soccer know that that's not too far fetched. Like I'm not like delusional to think that it is, it is coming. It's like only a matter of, is it going to be, 10 years or is it going to be 25 years before yeah. it like really starts to take shape 100 percent, yeah like we're good now you know we're good now like we have a core of players or we're still gonna have not just this world cup coming up but the next world cup coming up you know but are we are we able gonna be are we gonna be able to produce those same players throughout and be good for the next 10 years and i think so bro look at how many american players are going abroad it's crazy we used to look at uh the mexican players they used to get i'm talking about like the memo Choa area era memo Choa used to go over there um i remember like even older jare borghetti was over there so you that was like the big thing when like it was unheard for a mexican player to play in europe 
I feel like we are, we passed that. Like we're like, oh, there's, there's Americans. dozens of them now. There's tons yeah. of them. Yeah. There's Americans. Not only is there Americans out there, but like, if you look how much Pepe is getting, it's a 20 mil buy. Like these transfers are big time buys. So like, it frustrates me that people like as far as like if you're going to keep it real and raw like we're the laughing stock of the soccer world like as far as like our national team as far as far as our league you know as far as like europeans look at us as soccer is like retired like a mickey mouse league but my question to them is like why are big clubs coming here to get american players developed american players i don't feel like people are giving enough giving us enough credit on what's coming and what we have now. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see because like there's definitely an old guard of classic soccer powerhouses with, you know, your England's and your Germany's and your France's and your, you know, Brazil's like there's going to be a new like even Canada, like right now, like the US yeah. the Canada, like I'm sure at some point, like China, Japan, like just based on like the sheer money and numbers and things that are going into it, like there's going to yeah. be a new wave of like the new guard of kind of top soccer powers. Yeah. If, if you look what's happening in Africa at the, mm -hmm. I, I didn't catch much of the Africans, African nations cup, uh, but bro, there is good teams and there's good players there. I would say that if you compare Africa, like, the, you know, who won Senegal won it with Mane. Um, we have Egypt as a powerhouse with Mo Salah. I would say like not not to give uh US men's national team too much credit, but like I feel like they're they're competing with us, like as far as like up up and rising where soccer is gonna have a shift of powerhouses and I'm yeah. excited for that, bro. And like like that's why you know we're here. That's why we're recording and talking this because I feel like it's the time is now an opportunity and not an opportunity for like to make money, but it's an opportunity for me and you to like leave our thumbprint in the game, you know, in the culture. Cause we've seen, we're the most credible people. Like yeah, how'd you end up at BC? Marco, Marco is Marco Marco my guy. Yeah. So I <laughs> had going, coming out of high school, not a single scholarship offer, not, not one. Like I, I had really very few schools that even like reached out like a couple of D3 schools. Like I kind of went and visited Davidson down in, in North Carolina was a school that like had showed interest and would have like got me into the school, but not on scholarship or anything like that yeah. at BC kind of put on a camp. I forget all the schools that are there it was, but it was like BC Northeastern Providence, whatever. So you pay, like you pay to go to this, you know, three, yeah. four day showcase type camp. And I end up going to that camp played super well. Marco, who was the assistant at BC at the time, had seen me play. He was like, he had been in New Hampshire. So he had seen me play at, at the club level too. And we got to the end of that camp. And I, I, I was like walking off the field on the fourth. They hadn't heard anything from any of the coaches, nothing. Marco pulls me aside and was like, hey, would you have any interest in coming to BC? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah, of course, of course I would. Like there was not a sniff of anything from another ACC school. Like it was just not even like, on my radar, it was like, you know, big school, close to home, but like big program, good academics, like had everything that was like on my list. But I, I had thought nothing of getting any interest from, from them. And so I was like, hell yeah, like what I'll sign right now, if you, if you want me to. Um, and so like went back, thought about it and, and locked it in, but it was like, you know, not, it was like, a, I don't even know what I was called a preferred walk-on where I, you know, was able to put in my application to the school, but I think there's probably, you know, they were able yeah. to help me kind of get into the school, but like not on scholarship or anything like that. And so that was how I ended up, how I ended up at BC, but yeah, was like through a camp. They had seen me playing at club, but it was like ultimately that camp. I think that was kind of like the final, 
the final push that got me in. Um, but yeah, not a didn't have a single scholarship offer. You know, didn't really have anything kind of locked down going into, it was probably summer of my junior year going into senior year um, that I still was kind of like up in the air, it's probably July or August and of high school. And that happened and it was like pretty quick after that. What a story. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. The importance of camps, man. Like a lot of, I myself like thought, you know, I used to look at these camps and used to be like, these are just a money grab. Like, cause the, the people who come to these camps are, uh, you know, sometimes kids who are actually getting recruited already by the school or getting looked at, you know, and if you show up unknown, but can put those guys out, can show those guys out, you're gonna put yourself on right. the radar and, and stuff can happen. So as far as like the development of players, I think camps like it's it's definitely my perspective on camps has changed because i used to think about it like if i'm not getting recruited like one that's a bummer already and then it's like maybe i should start looking at it like my thinking is like maybe because my brother's 17 now so my thing is like okay, if my brother's not getting highly recruited we should start thinking about maybe D2, D3, or maybe not even going to college or just going straight to the pros and trying to, you know, make that grind if he wants to do that. I then he starts, he starts asking me like, what, why can't I go to these camps? Like at UConn, at BU, at BC, where you know people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's not a bad idea. And to hear your story and a, an amazing, you know, not just an opportunity, a life-changing experience to go to Boston College close to home close to your parents but actually play not just walk on bro but you wore the captain's band people forget i want to congrats i didn't even know that i want to congratulate you on that big accomplishment that's amazing bro yeah it was it was pretty like I, I remember so vividly the day like that camp ended and i'm calling my parents i'm calling my brothers and nobody will like pick up the phone i think my mom still has like the voicemail somewhere where i'm like yeah. somebody pick up the fucking phone like i've got some big news to share here and like it was just it was just such an like amazing amazing moment but yeah the, to the camp point it i never thought about it like like there's there's definitely coaches and camps where it's like all right this is a money grab you've got yeah. 250 kids that are coming in and if you can get, I don't know, if you can get one or two players that like, you know, sneak out of that, maybe that's a win for the schools. You know, you, you make the money on top of it. But then you think about some of these guys that if you go up to the levels, you know, if you look at the U.S. men's national team, they do that January camp every year where that's yeah. not a top guys that are in the camp. That's like, all right, MLS guys, kind of up no. and comers, young guys. And you see guys that, you know, do well in that January camp in a World Cup year and end up making the roster. So it's like, it's, it's crazy. I think just the in bigger picture, like how fast things happen in the soccer world of like one good camp, one good yeah. you know, window, one, you know, one good round of games, one good tournament. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. You're being sold. You're being signed. You're getting a scholarship. You're whatever, like playing well in front of the right people, no matter what level you're at, it, it can yeah. go a long way. So you get to BC what's going through your head. Like now you're not only there to for school, but you're there to play soccer. So what's going on? Like, I'm sure you're buzzing. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I get, get to school and I still like to this day, like getting dropped off at school. My mom goes to me. She's like, just make sure that Ed knows your name. She was like convinced that Ed Kelly, like coming into BC, like didn't know my name. Cause like Marco <laughs> had recruited me. Like I was obviously not a scholarship guy. So I was like, not a big deal at all. So I show up to that. 
I'm like, I think he knows who his players are that are at least like coming into camp. But I remember like getting to that first like freshman year camp and like crazy, crazy nervous because you come into that group and it's like there's guys that have played, you know, you've got guys one from all over the world. Then you've got guys that are like, okay, multiple guys that are like youth national team, this youth national team, that like playing, like I think Colin Murphy was playing in the under 20 world cup. Like you've got all these guys that were like big time guys. And I'm like this, like little kid from New Hampshire who was like coming in. And so I think there was like a sense of just like nerves that, that first year when I came in of like, all right, do I, do I fit into the pieces here? Like how, you know, can I hang, can I hang with these guys? Like, can, am I, fit like am I right for this for this group and so I think a lot of that first year was just like a big learning curve and and going so fast like the game was just like a million miles an hour to me like I could not slow down I was one speed like train wreck at all at all times in some ways uh, a good thing and it was part of my game and like not something that I want to lose but I think about like the transition from like my freshman year to my sophomore year and like how much the game just like slowed down for me yeah. And how like and that is just something, you know, you see it with the top guys where the game slows down for them when they're 16. And like th- that's when they're really peaking and getting better. But I just I don't think I had like logged enough soccer minutes in yeah. my life. And so it's like, you know, I'm 18, 19 years old and like I'm now just getting soccer every day. I'm getting training every day. You know, you're playing real game minutes twice a week. Like so I, it was just like I had accumulated enough soccer backup. that at a certain point like finally the game started to like slow down for me a little bit and I was like all right I can still run around and tackle people and win headers and be sort of this like you know energizer bunny but also I can take a breath and complete a pass and I can take a breath and make a good cross like at, at a certain point the game sort of at least like slowed for me a little bit where I could I had played enough soccer where I I felt, I felt so much more comfortable and that's where things started to like click. And I really started like, you know, playing more, playing better, things like that. Yeah. I was a year older. So I remember your class coming in it was like probably like six guys, Mm -hmm. six guys coming in and our class was already nine guys. Yeah. You know, so we were a super young team. So there's a lot of pressure on us already because we had a Cinderella run our freshman year in Mm -hmm. the NCAA. And the next year it was just like, okay, like we're still going to have the same team. Can we top that? And we were, yeah, we had a great team that year. And I was like, man, if we were, if we're able to find one of these, a few of these guys of fit that can help us either off the bench or just like in that rotation, you know, those mid game weeks, we're going to be fucking sick. And what's interesting about your story is that, bro, you're an underdog, right? So you have, I feel like you had a lot to prove, but I feel like that's almost an advantage, an advantage Mm -hmm. for an athlete and like just a soccer player because keeps you working keeps you working, keeps you mentally strong. Like, okay, like, you know, like if I keep going, I'm going to get my chance. I'm going to get my chance. There's going to be, I'm comparing your, your, your journey to like mine right now. And it's like where I was like, you know, highly recruited and my mentality was like, I'm good. I'm good enough to be here. I'm one of, I feel like I was one of the top players, but like when I didn't do well, it was the end of the world, bro. And I would not train the way I was supposed to train. I would, I wouldn't, you know, I would kind of just like check out, you know, if I would have came a little bit more hungry and like not as highly recruited, I don't think I would have been so hard on myself as far as like get down on myself. I would think I would have just kept working. I think it's an interesting point to bring up is that, you know, sometimes walking on, it could be the best thing for someone. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, set a mentality for me throughout the whole course of 
of college was like, I kind of always had this, this chip or like that, you know, somebody else more talented could come in and, and take my role. And I, I do, I think it was my, my sophomore year. Like I had, had played on and off freshman year, but like, you know, was 10 minutes here, five minutes here. Sure. was kind of like, you know, utility guy, wherever I was the first or second game of, of my second year. And somebody, somebody got hurt and I ended up getting put into the game. And I think I didn't miss a minute after that for two years. Like I yeah. played every minute of that sophomore year, every minute of my junior year. And it was one of those things where it's like, fuck that. I'm not giving this back <laughs> to anybody now. Like this is, this is mine. You're gonna have to take it from me. Um, so like, that was, I think a really important piece for me yeah. to make me play better, to train harder, to do all that, all that stuff. You need, you need those players in the locker room. You know, the coach needs that player in the locker room who's going to be dependable. I feel like if there's, if there's an identity to American players is dependability. Like we're, you can put 24 guys on the roster and those guys are going to be fit. They're going to be strong and they're just going to be a hard game, you know? Mm -hmm. So to see, you know, go, you go from, you know, not getting a lot of minutes to you being a staple and like a guarantee spot, you know, cause I played in the back with you and I was just like, yes, like I'm going to play with Dunny and I know that I'm not the fastest guy, but that motherfucker's going to come and just clean up everything. So I just got to worry about winning everything in the air and try to distribute out the back. But now when you look at it and, and, you know, I wonder like, why do you like defending? It's not just that you, the, the art of defending is just like what comes with it, you know, like your whole identity as a player is like okay like i have a lot to prove like this is why defense is my my thing in the acc you know we played big games where we got humbled and smacked but like you start picking up the level and paces of like these teams you know your passes become sharper you you know you be you kind of start wanting to compete because it doesn't feel fucking good to get smacked by Maryland 4-0 at home. A lot of development of a player happens in, in that three-month season, but it's like, like you said, like, we don't log enough soccer minutes coming into that, during that, and, like, after that in the spring, you know, semester and all of year round. People have to understand, like, this is why we're not developing the best players, you know, and it's not because we're not good. It's not because we don't have the athletes. athletes it's not because we don't have the system that, puts or our potential or anyone that's playing can actually train as a professional and log in those 10,000 hours that you need. I'm, cu I'm curious for you. You, I mean, we, you and I are both like, we play our Sunday league, our beer leagues, whatever on the yeah. weekends and stuff like that. What age do you think you were at where you were like the best soccer player that you could be? I, th I think at 17. I thought 17, about okay. 17. I thought this recently. I thought about this recently. Cause obviously I got stronger, you know, I got sharp, but like, as far as like my were mentality and professionalism as a player where I was just like, I want to play professional soccer. If I, I don't regret going to BC. I love my experience. I'd be, I'm so blessed to be, bro. The fact that I have one of those BC things. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. My mom is so proud. So I would not change that for the world. But like, if I could talk to my 17 year old self, like I am talking to my 17 year old brother, I would be like, man, like try to go pro, like try to, I wish I had the guidance, know the rules with the NCAAs on how to mm -hmm. keep eligibility. So, you know, I wish I would have had someone to like advise me, like, oh, this is how you can go about going pro. And one of my main purposes on having this podcast is like to reach those kids on like, we've as American, you know, college soccer gets put on this pedestal. Like that's the thing to do, you know, and, and not that that's, bad but it's like not the only option and i mm -hmm. i like 
I'm speaking of from experience is that if I could tell my 17 year old self, I would be like, oh, not not even skip college, but let's put off college for maybe a year or two and develop from eight after grad, you know, for graduating from high school, 18, 19. And if it doesn't happen, then cool. I, I'm still 19 and I can yeah. still come to a four year you know, degree. Um, I wish I would have taken that move. Um, but to yeah, back to your question. Yeah, I think I, at 17, you're just like sharp, you're elastic. Like I felt like I was faster. No one could push me off the ball. And it's also like soccer was more enjoy enjoyable back then just because like it's not that you feel more dominant, but you feel like there's no roof. So I'm going to just mm -hmm. keep getting better, better, better. So, you know, that that keeps you hungry to like, I can't wait to get to the next level. And I feel like that that's the beauty of, of a sport, you know, and, and like just being in the soccer world, it's just like this simple sport can just like open a lot of doors, a lot of opportunities. But it's also like part of a culture and like of a language, you know, where I feel mm -hmm. like soccer. Yeah, people may, you know, people who don't understand sports may be like, I don't understand why people will take it so serious, blah, blah, blah. But like, if you break down soccer, you go any, me and you go anywhere in the world, we don't know the language, but there's going to be soccer there. And that's how we're going to communicate. That's how, even though we can't speak it, we're going to be able to enjoy and feel something, you know, feel that culture. So feel that passion. So I think, yeah, man, soccer is the shit, bro. Like, like. Like the fact that we got through, you know, not just play in the American system, but like at a D1 level and like just like do it now as the league is growing. Like I'm excited for the next generation to actually get the real experience of like a good system, a good college system. You see, I'm supposed to interview this, uh, this current BC player and he has, I want to ask, I'm so curious to ask him about, he has like a brand deal, you know, mm -hmm. like how sick is that? Right. Like, that would like be I think about when we were in school, like there weren't like they weren't posted highlights from the games on Twitter. Like none of that even existed yet. And you watch these games now, it's like highlights of the videos. Each player's got their spotlights. They got the it's like, yeah, it's a different it's a different world. Yeah, man. And it's it's that's that that's the growth that I love to see. Let's talk about, yeah, the pros and cons about the, you know, the college experience, you know, the blueprint of the American player. What are some of the pros you would say? I mean, for for a guy like me to be able to come in and compete with 20 something other guys that were from all over the world that had, you know, were all amazing players in their own rights. Like that was something that I cherished. Like, you know, I, I grew up in New Hampshire. Like, yeah, we had a, we had a good group and we had some talented guys in that group, but not even close to the level of like what, you know, a full roster guys at BC was. So just that opportunity to come in and like train every single day with these very talented guys, like that just made inherently made me a better player. So like that huge pro, like of, of just how much like that environment helps. And, you know, I had, you're never in an environment where you're training every day either like that, yeah. you know, just being, just touching the ball every day, you know, being out in, in training every day. I had never had a, a strength training coach before or a, like a trainer before. Yeah. So like having somebody who was like, you should stretch this, or this is your lifting program. Or like, yeah. like I, I put on 15 pounds of muscle and was stronger and faster. And like that, you know, obviously was a big positive for me, like within the college experience, like there was just so many more, 
like resources of things yeah. that were like kind of adjacent to the game that you don't necessarily think about when you're 17. And it's like, you're probably taping your own ankle and maybe lifting, maybe not, maybe going out for a run, but like, you don't have like a proper like training program. So all of those things, I think were, were huge positives to the, to the game for me in college. You know, the resources, the education you get on mm -hmm. like taking care of your body. Yeah. Like, bro, I would eat like shit. I mean, I would lift, but like, it was stupid lifting, you know, the stuff yeah. that, you know, wasn't helping me at all. Like, I don't so, think like, I had touched, I don't think I had touched a weight in my life until <laughs> I walked on campus at BC. Like, honestly, I don't know, maybe I did a little bit, but like, it was just not something that I'd even, nobody had told me to do or I had never thought about before. And so that was like, all right, I got to do this now. In retrospect, now that I think about it, it doesn't matter if you're in D1, D2, D3, if you're like in a an environment like this only downside i can think of because you're given all the uh, we were given all the tools bro all the resources mm -hmm. classes sucked yeah but like we were given study hall and if you actually like grinded you were able to you know not right. just get by but like actually like not cruise but like because i work load is ridiculous but actually manage if we're gonna be completely honest the only downside to college soccer is that it's not a year round it's too short mm -hmm. You saw that we only played three months and in those three months, bro, realistically, I didn't deal with that many injuries. So, but I would still miss maybe like 10, 15% of the season because right. it's such a toll on your body, you know? So for development, that's terrible. You know, that's mm -hmm. against everything I'm sure the Europeans believe in. And it's like, if we were, if we're able to like fix just like 90, I'm not even, cause I know it'll take shit ton of money to run it's expensive to run a year-round program whatever but like extend it to like maybe six months or like mm -hmm. actually have a spring season you know where you can keep training the fact that there's limited hours oh that's probably the, uh, the yeah. other thing that's fucking whack bro that there's limited hours that's like mind-blowing the coach can only work with the team for a certain amount of right. hours in the spring season that is Bro, that is so disrespectful to the game, so disrespectful, so unfair to the athletes, you know, and I wonder what's the thinking behind all that. And it's, it's not that we're not getting the best because we're getting players out there, but it's just I feel like we're wasting potential just because we don't have a fluid fucking system. Yeah, if I think about like how I developed and you get this great window from August in preseason training through if you're lucky Thanksgiving, like that's maybe four months if you're like you're having a good season. Then it's like December's kind of cruise. You're then like January through May, where maybe you play four games, four five games. games, maybe. And then, you know, you're lifting, you're training a couple times a week. But like for me, like I, I would then go and play. I played like PDL, which is now, I don't even know what they call it, but like USL two or whatever it is. Yeah. And I'd play that in the summer and you'd get 25 games. And like, I would get so much better from the course of like June 1st to August 1st than I did from January to May. And it's like, all right, if you think about, let's just add in now 20 games or 15 games or 10 games in that window and you're training every day still, like accumulatively over four years, like how much better I would have gotten each year yeah. than, okay, you know, January to May, you're maybe getting a, incrementally a little bit better, but not much. And then you ramp it up and you're, you know, improving or whatever, but, that's a huge, huge difference. You're losing, you know, 16 months over the course of four yeah. years. You broke it down perfectly. Damn, 16 months in four years. Right. That's crazy right. of actual development and have a good season because I, I was one of those guys also was a utility player. I'll yeah. fit anywhere, you know, 
but then I used to be like, what now? Like, so now, yeah. you know, I think of like my trajectory as a player, like, oh, that's where I went wrong. That's where my development, you know, stopped. And, and yeah, though, these are the points that, you know, have to be brought up because people have to understand like the, the, the trajectory of the college season and not just a college season, but like the college player year blatant to see is that we're not getting enough minutes, enough playing time. So that's what's fucking up our Mm-hmm. development you know that's yeah. the hard truth honestly and but if we sweep that under the rug like bro these facilities are sick this the level yeah. of play is sick like you know being able to like, bro we were treated like like as far as like buses hotels like and then you you pair that with the level of play and we were up mm-hmm. and coming you know so we got to see like the prestige that maryland had and like their facility and wake forest and we were like fuck like this is like how it feels we, professional. Yeah. It feels like you're like in a professional environment. There's 5,000 like, people cheering and screaming and you're getting your name announced. Like it, it feels like a professional environment, bro. Th- think about it like that. Like, obviously you're a basketball guy. You love the NCAA. You see mm-hmm. how big March Madness is, bro. Right. Think about for soccer. Like, like we have to tweak our seasons a little bit just to get it to that hype. And it's just like, we're this close of doing it, but like, I don't know what's stopping us. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what, what up with the NCAA or just like, and that's frustrating for us because it's not, that's not just like for a fan, it's like a bummer because obviously we never, we don't get to see that, enjoy the March madness for soccer. But like, also it's like, it's a bummer because that's slowing our process to becoming this powerhouse, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, and it also, I don't know, makes me insecure that, like, like I said earlier in the podcast, like they laugh at us, bro. For example, this is what I mean. Chris Armis, American guy at Man United. You yeah. think they're happy? You think you think Man United diehard fans are happy that an American is there, bro? They're. I heard they're calling him Ted Lasso. Hilarious. That is. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> but like, that's the shit I'm talking about. Where perfect example is that we're the laughing stock of the soccer world. And that's that's why we're here working to change that and the perspective. So, bro, like, not that we're demanding our respect, but like, bro, we're coming. And like, I don't, I, I'm saying this with my chest out, like, 10 years, like, okay, like, we got it, you know? And mm-hmm. if you look at the women's, women's side, and I feel like once, once we figure out the college and the MLS, bro, it's going to be, this America's going to be the spot to be. Uh, World Cup year, your prediction. First of all, how do you think we're doing? From your perspective and your predictions on how we're going to do throughout the, you know, before we get to the World Cup. So I, I don't want to jinx us because I, you know, there's still some work to be done before we before we qualify. So yeah. I'm hoping we take care of this last window. We qualify. We take care of business yeah. like there, there's no easy there's no easy games in this last window. I'm like, we got to we got to make sure we we qualify like that's priority one, two and three. But we have showed up at the World Cup before with a team of significantly less quality and gone further you know we've we've got groups i think it was the o2 group you know go to go to the quarterfinals we've had groups that you know do well and and are kind of like bigger than the sum of the parts in in that sense and i think this current group that we have right now there's still some questions you know about them as kind of a as kind of a total package you look at last summer and them beating mexico three times winning the gold cup winning the u.s nations league like and some of those games were vicious just slugfest games like classic games that the u.s would win the team had personality the team like you know they're they're beating their chest in front of the mexican fans like there was something 
very American soccer about yeah. them going and winning those games. But then you look at them throughout qualifying and that kind of comes and goes in waves, like where there's, there's nights where they look like world beaters and they're, you know, passing the ball, they're scoring goals. And it's, it's very much like, okay, we've got a really good group here. And then there's other games where you see them sort of lose that bite or that edge or that little bit of like dig inness that I think is like comes with the territory of American soccer. Like, you know, you know, me as a, as a defensive guy, as a guy that's like going to go out, smash people, tackle, like be organized. You don't always see that like fight within the U S yeah. group at all times. And so I think getting to a point where that's more consistent, like if I honestly, if this U S group, like on certain nights walked into the African cup, they'd go 0-3 and, and be bounced and get killed. Because, yeah. like, you watch some of these games, and guys are tackling, it is yeah. war. And, like, I, I see within our team, there's there's some guys, you know, McKinney on certain nights, Pulisic on certain nights, uh, you know, Gio Reyna on certain nights. There's guys that have that sometimes. There's other nights where they go and they disappear. There's not, like, kind of that collective team effort, you know, a desk that's, you know, Anthony Robinson, these guys that are maybe more – technical and more, you know, looking to get forward and not get stuck in and defend. And so I think finding that balance of, we know we have talented, skillful guys, yeah. but also being able to like balance it with that sort of gritty toughness of American soccer. That's kind of always been there. That's, that's what I think we need to find to ultimately have like a really successful world cup. Facts. The group we have is amazing. You know, we hear people say that, oh, they haven't proved anything. Hercules Gomez says it all the time. I love Hercules Gomez, but we have proven a lot. We beat Mexico three times last year. We won the Nations Cup. We won the Gold Cup. We have proven that you know, this team is, this group is going to step up to the occasion that can win games when it matters. Um, but then I see him get punked by Canada or we go to Honduras or El Salvador and we can't get a result. That's just comes from the team not being mature we're very young yes when i mean mature i feel like we still as a group are not we don't have the character that or or that that presence and confidence in our game that we're going to walk out and like beat people i think we're still thinking like let's just get a result that's been u.s soccer the whole this whole 25 years like, let's get a result kind of team and I think that we need to start, and it's all comes down to the locker room. It comes down to Greg Berhalter gelling everybody, uh, taking. I think he has a bunch of, of favorites, but people, guys that are going to be at the level to compete, but also be mature enough to be like, hey, we play better teams. We play at, we can play at a high level where we're not doubting ourselves. Like, can we be? Canada can we be France it's like no we got to go out there and be like hey France bring it on 11 versus 11 we're just as good I think we're this close of being there this group is young enough and I, when you're young like this I think it's more of it'll be, I think it's less eagles and it'll be more of a collab collab you know a uh, vibe in the locker room you know there's not going to be one superstar there's not we're not we don't have to depend on Christian Pulisic I think he's on he's on after this window he's understood like hey like I don't have to be a hero every single fucking game. There's other guys that can step up. McKinney, Musa, Tyler Adams can step up. Pepe can step up. I think he needs to find the role of the superstar role player. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you're just not going to be the hero. But, mm -hmm. like, that's our guy. We're definitely going to qualify. And 
anything can happen at those stages, you know, like you, every, every team, no matter who you are, no matter if you're France or Brazil, that's the same nerves, you know, everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time once you get there. So I'm excited to get to that stage. Cause it's been, bro, it's eight years. We haven't, yeah. we, we haven't got to like, enjoy this in eight fucking years. Making this world cup is not just big because we haven't made it in a long time, but it's just like a statement. Like we're here, bro. Like we're, we're gonna be dom not dominant, but we're finally here. Because if you look at the last eight years, our league has grown. Our mm -hmm. players are in Europe, so it's not. It wasn't just all downhill. Like, hey, we're back. We're it's time to fucking work, you know. So I think I think if we have that mentality instead of just like happy to be there, you know, I think we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna get to the second round, bro. And yeah. when, once you get to the round of sixteen, bro, it's it's a lot of it is luck. A lot of it is just like whoever has a better day that day, you know. And I mm -hmm. feel like America can get lucky, bro, and get to the uh, to the quarters. And if we get lucky, maybe a semis, bro. Like I, I mean, if <laughs> I I do think we're we're best as a as a footballing country as like the team that's you know backs up against the wall like a little bit of underdog chip on the shoulder. It doesn't have to always be like, that's yeah. when I could see this group rising to the occasion of playing a France or a Belgium or a Germany versus like you draw, a, you know, maybe a lesser T like I'd almost want us to be in like, maybe this is crazy, but like put into a group of death. Cause it's like, yeah. all right, if you can come, come swinging out of that, you can beat anybody at that point. And Group of death, bro. We've been, if you look at the, the history, like our groups have never been easy. We've always had Germany, Portugal. We've had tough, like I'm hoping, you know, the soccer gods are on our sides and don't give us a group of death. Yeah. And that way we can kind of like, you know, still earn our spot. But like, cause also like that group of death shit, bro. And then have it cut even. I feel like that's, if we don't make, if we don't get out of that group of death, fuck like morale, the last, I, we can't flex the last eight years as hard as mm -hmm. you know we can yeah like we we would want to and but. to have like I, this world cup is so like we have to qualify if we don't if we don't qualify we've got major issues but we have to qualify and then have a good showing because the next world cup is in the u.s and that is going to be like the coming or it's the u.s canada mexico whatever it is but like that's going to be you've got this group that's now at like peak age core groups have been together for a while like that could be sort of the like coming out party for exactly US bro like i said like us making this world cup yeah we're here because yes in four years is coming back to america came to north america where we're gonna have still be in our golden age and that's what i mean but like bro we're here like that it's so important that for the growth of soccer to be at this world cup but also this 10 year window this delusional window i have bro it's like no it's set up perfectly we do well in this world cup soccer keeps growing the demand keeps growing the loyalty keeps growing it comes back to america bro think about how packed think about how big these fucking stadiums are bro like a hundred thousand no if if we're able to be a powerhouse at home in front of a hundred thousand people that are usa i'm i don't think a world cup is too far-fetched i'm telling you man yeah, so. on home soil, like it's it's anything is possible there. <laughs> Do you think American fans are too toxic? Like as far as like, I know a lot of this criticism comes from a place a place of passion, but it's also coming from a place of like ignorance and not understanding and not putting ourselves because i do it a lot of the times in the player's shoes you know and not you know and i feel like 
America's so big and Twitter and all this, we have access to so much negativity when it comes to our national team that that also stunts our like growth as a soccer nation, as a soccer culture, because obviously Brazil has their haters, English, you, English people love their national team, but also fucking hate their national team. But also they have built a tradition to do that. We haven't built a tradition where we can disrespect our national team. I feel like we have improved. Yes, our the national team has improved themselves as a team, but we have improved ourselves as fans, as loyal fans that we're going to be through and through, through the bad times and the good times. If we're just able to understand, if we're, and that's why I feel like it's so important for us to have a a coach a people's coach bro i feel like that's the only person that's gonna unite or kill the toxic and just be like hey just give us time trust us and i feel like that's the only time the only way we're gonna be able to just slowly come together so the toxic piece of the u.s fans i i i'm not too worried about that just because kind of of what you said of like you go anywhere in the world, fans turn pretty quickly if things aren't yeah. going well. Yeah. And whether that's, you know, England, France, Brazil, Argentina, wherever, like fans are going to rip into you if you're not playing well, if things aren't going well. So I almost look at that as like, all right, US, if U.S. fans are talking and asking questions and, you know, looking into it, I see that as like a positive thing, like that there's mm-hmm. almost like get people talking, get more. If, if people are talking about it, that's a, that's a good sign. It means people care. That means people are invested. I do think the U S specifically is kind of still far behind as far as like building a fandom. Like, yes, there is a, a U.S. national team fandom. You go to these different, you know, c- city states where they're playing and there's, you know, the American outlaws are there. There's U S soccer bars, what have you, but a friendly in the middle of July isn't selling out. Like, yeah. doesn't matter. You go, you know, you obviously when they play, you know, kind of more down south. If it's if they're playing a Latin American team, it's it's more you know Mexico, yeah. it's more El Salvador, it's more whatever. I actually think we're building more of a club culture in the U.S., which is good because I think that'll ultimately foster like a national team culture. You know, there are diehards of Atlanta United and of the Revs and of LA Galaxy. Like that is that only hopefully helps then fuel like a, a broader fandom for the national team. But there's, it's not, it's not there yet. Like there's not a, for 300 plus million people that live in the United States, there's still a pretty small percentage of them that are like, you know, diehard yeah. U.S. men's national team fans. And I think that's where having these big moments where, you know, you're on the world we haven't played in a, on a global stage. The casual fan doesn't care about the gold cup or doesn't care yeah. about the nation's league. Like the diehards, you and I are watching those games and there's a group of people that are watching those games, but it's not bringing in the kind of casual observer. You yeah. need world cup success. You need to play on the biggest stage to get fans in for life, to get people hooked on being a U.S. soccer fan. And hopefully that then translates down to people caring about the gold cup, to people caring about the nation's league, to people caring about, when a MLS guy gets, you know, sold to whoever, like, but I don't think we're, we're quite there yet as far as like building to mass appeal the U S national team. On one side, yes, we're exposed to a lot of negativity on social media. When you actually break down, soccer is growing. If you look at people like me and you, you have your own podcast. I have my own podcast. Now I'm seeing a gap, gap being bridged with the normal content creator 
with the Alexi Lawlesses and Taylor Twelmans and them interacting. And that's so important for the culture. That's so important for fan like growth for the fandom because you now have access to more credible opinions where we come from an era where we, are, we hear Alexi Lalas and he grew up, I have respect for Alexi Lalas. He played soccer, you know, he's an American legend, but he also played long time ago and his tastes are different. Oh, and then we have Hercules Gomez, who I agree more, a little bit more. And then I go on YouTube and I follow some of these like amateur podcasts, you know, and I'm like, there's a lot of good shit being said on these podcasts. And now Hercules Gomez, all these like personalities, you know, credible personalities are like, coming and doing these podcasts with because they want to reach that audience and that's fandom like they want to go into these podcasts and these platforms because they're they know that they're going to reach the actual true fans of the national team and soccer so i think it's very interesting and i think it's very crucial that this this keeps happening and i love to see it because you see i love to see the perspective of someone who is a current pro or someone that's played on the national team versus a normal everyday Joe that just watches soccer. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's also very, I think it's going to be the thing that lifts American soccer. Like, you know, like I said earlier about the coach, I think it's also, this is going to glue our fans together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The more, the more exposure, the more it's out there, the more people are talking about it. I think the better. And it's not just the three guys that get the seat in the chair on, on Fox. It's, you know, the people that are huge fans that play the game, that love the game, that are fans of Christian Pulisic, that are fans of Tyler Adams and like have watched them grow up and now get to sort of continue to talk about it too, like helps just push it, push it forward. Yeah. There's so many important voices out there, man. And it's like, I've, I've learned this myself. Like I used to think like ignorant I, I used to think ignorant and like, you know, a professional player is going to know more than me, more of the game than me. You know, this is me post playing like this is me as thinking as a coach if someone plays pro played at a higher level they have more knowledge to offer to the to, you know more knowledge of the game to offer but in reality bro like they may have more knowledge in the professional level but as far as like behind the scenes there's so many people that are work that are out on these fields there's so many scouts there's so many people college coaches college recruits that know this system through and through that you know know where the flaws are but like there's not enough information being compiled to be like this is where we're fucking up and this is what we need to change and where I, I see it in the next five years we keep talking about this 10 gap window where i think in the next five years our system is going to get better because we're going to start finding answers from everyday people that know the game when i mean people that know the game i don't mean soccer i mean the american system bro like i think my biggest flex is not going to boston college is not playing on the national team. My biggest flex is that I grew up in the American system. No one can tell me nothing about it, you know, because I played through it, I've coached through it, and it's just like I've seen where it's lacking. And I may not have all the answers, but like I've put my time in, you know, so I know what the fuck I'm talking about. And it's like this close, bro. We're mm -hmm. this close to just like figuring it out. And like I think, I think conversations like the ones we're having are important to have because they're credible voices. You're someone that grew up, you know, your your soccer experience was completely different, but you grew up in the system. You can say that mm -hmm. you did that, you know, like, so no one can take away like, oh, you don't know soccer. You don't know, blah, blah, like, no. The people that are going to change the system is going to be the people that know it. You know, not know Europeans. We can't keep 
scapegoating and trying to get it from anywhere else when you know we have everything that we need here so that it's funny you say that i i hear this in my other show all the time and this is more with like creative people entrepreneurs people like that that are like you always start in anything imitating what you see out there what you like so i, I see it with u.s soccer too it's like all right let's copy what germany does let's yeah. copy what england does let's copy all these things and that's great. That's how you get started. You like, there's no other better way to do it than like, all right, I'm going to borrow this. I'm going to borrow this. And then as over time, you start imitating people, you start to put your own style on it. You start to put the, you know, the special kind of like elements of you into it. And I think that's where we're kind of at that inflection point with us soccer right now, where we've borrowed some things from, yeah. from Europe. We've borrowed some things from South America. We've borrowed some things from these different places, putting in an, a U.S. developmental Academy system having the option for kids to sign, you know, straight out of the Academy to play in the first team. Like yeah. they've, we've built some of these systems have started to come in, but now it's like adding the little bit. The U S system is going to be totally different than the English system. It's going to be totally different than the German system. So we've copied the pieces that are good, but it's like, now you got to kind of sprinkle in like, all right, for me as a New Hampshire kid, what ways could my system have been better? We got to sprinkle some of those things in for you growing up out of LA, like what are ways that it could have been better for you to kind of, you know, continue to grow? How can we make the college system better? And it's now like, you know, sprinkling those elements in and making our own little American potion. Um, Cause I think that's where we're, and we're at that point right now, we're starting to add some of those like little pieces of us. Yeah, bro. And the proof, the proof is in our face, NBA, NFL, bro, they're all American. The NBA doesn't go to China or like Europe to like, you know, get their training or get their players. It's just like, no, like the best basketball is here in America. We're going to do shit like we've been doing it because, and I feel like that's where we need to go with soccer. The whole soccer world is forever, you know, in bounce off each other, Yeah, but it's time to actually stamp and just kind of just like build our own identity. I, our identity is there as far as like, you know, we're, we're, we're a blue collar team. We're going to battle, but it's just like owning up to that and then owning that. And then just, I feel like once we own that, we're going to polish it up and play beautiful soccer, bro. Cause there's mm -hmm. ballers out there. We're not, we're not in the era where our only saucy players, Clint Dempsey, like right. we had everyone on everyone that on that roster, bro, like, can can do something can you know, yeah I'm, I'm excited and i'm excited to keep growing this podcast and just keep getting perspectives like this and having conversations with like people who are important to the sport we're important people to this sport bro because i'm telling you this is what we've invested and we'll we put our time in so it's it feels good to you know bounce ideas and just discuss stuff that with someone that is just as passionate as me you know about them so Thank you for your time, bro. This is amazing. And I know this is not going to be the only time we do this, man. I'm going to look forward to us before the World Cup, World Cup predictions and stuff like that. So again, thanks for your time, my brother. Of course, this was awesome. I could talk about this for, for days. So, you know, you know me anytime I'll be back. Man, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Dunn from Destination Different, a podcast. You're documenting people's stories who are not doing the regular nine to five, you know, so what you're doing is important too, bro. And keep, like I said, I love the consistency, consistency. I love the content. I look forward to every week, you know, hearing it. So I want to just, you know, congratulate you on your hustle and on your grind, bro. And I wish you nothing but the best with that. Thank you, brother. Well, I appreciate it. And I know that this show is going to just keep rolling too. I'm, I'm excited for what you got going with this. So thank you, bro. Keep it going. Cheers, bro. Shout out BC. Shout out Boston College. Ed Kelly, man. Shout out everyone. 
that was in that locker room with us and, you know, that got the pleasure to play at BC with me and you, man.